Thank you for joining the Together Church Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Our prayer is is that today's message will inspire you and help you move closer to Jesus. We hope you enjoy today's message. When I read the story of Jesus and go through the Gospels, one of the most fascinating things that I have seen is how much time Jesus spent with people. Would you agree with me that Jesus was a people person? If you're an introvert and you don't like people, you've got to be a people person. Like, get outside of that, let the Holy Spirit move through that, and move out and start talking to somebody. Even take baby steps into getting to talk to people. Um, Because maybe for you, the baby step, it was for me, the cashier at the register only had just a few minutes. So I could quickly say something. If I said something dumb, it didn't matter. I'm going to be out of there in like 30 seconds anyway. Unless your credit card gets denied and declined, then you're stuck in awkward conversation. But just pushing out and spending time with people. This is, what, this is why the Bible always talks about community, of just pushing and spending time with people. If we think through his life, and I begin to recall all the people that Jesus hung out with, they weren't the perfect religious people. They were broken, oftentimes notorious sinners. They were hyper-religious people. He was friends with all sorts of people. There was no limit to who Jesus hung out with. And that's what often ticked off people on the religious sides of who Jesus was hanging out with. So many of his friends had these notorious sinners. They were rejects in society. And Jesus was the only one on earth for a very short time. And instead of him spending every second having these conversations on doctrinal discourse or these theological thoughts that he wanted to expound on, what we find Jesus doing is spending time with broken people. Spending time with broken people. Today I want us to look in John chapter 14. Well, we're going to, in Luke 19, but before we get there, John 14, 9 will explain why Jesus hung out with broken people. He says this, Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Jesus is saying here that I came to show you the Father. Because if the Father were here, He would be hanging out with the same people. He would be hanging out with you and me, not because we attend church, because we're broken, flawed people. He would would be in some of the worst places of our community, loving, having compassion on the people, showing love, teaching, preaching love to them, preaching grace, preaching mercy, preaching the cross and the resurrection. So Jesus came to show us the Father. So we could say that how Jesus dealt with people is exactly how God deals with people. People that look like us, people that don't look like us, people that act like us, people that don't act like us. He's a people person. And for all of these people that Jesus had encounters with, there's one that sticks out the most. And as I studied this guy, this this guy named Zacchaeus, you guys remember Zacchaeus? What was he? We little man, Sunday school song stuck out in your head, right? I think about Zacchaeus, and, I, and as I've studied the story this week, there were things that I have found that really stuck out to me that made it so much brighter and helped me understand so much more about the grace of Jesus. And so I want to share that with you this morning. So Luke chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 1. It says that Jesus entered Jericho. You guys remember Jericho? Remember when Joshua, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho when they were trying to take over? That was the first place 
that they went and encountered. And Jesus enters in the Jericho, which is in the wilderness area, and he made his way through the town of Jericho. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. And it says that he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Now, those are some pretty important details to understand. It gives us a couple of words. Number one, he was a chief tax collector, and he was very rich. What we know about Zacchaeus was he was a stingy and corrupt man, okay? And we know that because he worked as a tax collector in this area of Jericho. So he was a modern-day IRS tax guy, okay? And y'all know how much you love those people. You love, depending, some of you get like big money back, and then some of you get big bills, and it's like, I don't like the tax guy. You're not inviting the tax guy over for Father's Day dinner this afternoon. I can probably tell you that. So in, in this first century Israel, the tax collector was not very well respected at all. Okay? So it's not, it's not a job that people wanted. People that were tax collectors in, in Israel in this first century, these people are actually considered to be traitors and thieves. Okay? Traitors and thieves. These are the tax collectors. And I'm going to explain why that is. Because when a Roman would take over a city, they would tax it heavily. So you, this, is, this is Israel. This is Jericho. Joshua came in. This was the land that God given, has given us. The Romans come in. They take it from us. And now we have to follow Roman rule. And now they're taxing us. For many who are already poor, there wasn't a lot of money there to start with. But now they're being heavily taxed in this area so the Romans could go on and build their big coliseums and all the things that the Romans have built. But what, what they knew was if they put a Roman in charge of this Jericho where all these Jewish people, they knew that there was money that was hidden. So they would hide some money where well, the Romans being put in charge wouldn't know where all this money was. So what would they do? They would pick a Jewish person from that area who would know the people and know where all this hidden money was, and they would put them in charge as the chief, chief tax collector. This is where Zacchaeus gets his job. He knew where all the hidden money was. He's a native of the city. He knows the city well. He knows where the, the hidden money is. And so now he's going to collect taxes on behalf of the Romans. And the Romans would tell him this. They would say, this is how much money we want. This is what the tax is going to cost. This is what we expect you to bring us back, Zacchaeus. But if you charge anything over this, we don't care. Take whatever you want. But you're going to give us this percentage and you can go and tax somebody more. In other words, your tax bill from the Romans may be $1,000, but Zacchaeus has got to pick it up. It's now going to be $2,000. Now, how fair is that? This is why he was considered to be a thief and a traitor, because this is a Jewish man taxing his own people for the enemy, the Romans. So people didn't think too highly of, of Zacchaeus. And here's what the funny thing is. You know what Zacchaeus' name means? It means pure and innocent. He was so far from being pure or innocent in the way that he was collecting these taxes on behalf of the Roman people. He, he's, he's working for the enemy. He's working for the oppressors. Now, Zacchaeus being a chief tax collector would have been assigned a, a group of people, a squad of soldiers who would help him to enforce the tax. So if he would go after this money and people refused to give him the money, he would just call on his guys. They would come. They would often beat Jewish people and kill Jewish people for not paying their taxes. Now, can we just stop right there and thank God 
that we're not at that place yet that if we can't pay our taxes, they'll come and beat us. Okay? And this is what's happening. It's being initiated by a Jewish person onto his own people. Again, this is where the hatred is coming from towards Zacchaeus. So these guys go and get this money for their own people and for Israel. And in the process, they keep a bunch of money for themselves. They get really rich off of their own people. Even those, again, who couldn't pay the tax bill because they would just take your stuff. We're going to take all your animals. We're going to take your house. or We're going to take whatever they could take to get money. And they would do this to their own neighbors, their own friends, and even the very people that they grew up with. So tax collectors were awful people in biblical times. As a matter of fact, in the Jewish Mishnah, this is the oral law of the Jewish people, it says this, that a tax collector was so awful that they should not even be considered human, and that it was not a sin to lie to them because lying to an animal is not a sin. That was their take. So, thou shalt not lie, Whoop! except to the tax collector because they're just an animal and it's not a sin to lie to an animal. But then you get to the Pharisees. You remember, these Pharisees always had these rules and regulations and were always felt like they were better than everybody else and they were so holy. Well, even the, the holy Pharisees, they also had something to say. Like, these guys weren't the best of people. But we can see in Luke chapter 18, verse 11, look what the Pharisee says about the tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and look, 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 and I'm certainly not like the tax collector. Did you see the group of people that he put the tax collector in? Like, they do not like them. Even Jesus references how the people feel about the tax collector. And Zacchaeus, again, is not just a tax collector. He is the chief tax collector, which puts him in a whole different ballgame, and people can't stand him because he runs the show. Now look at verse 3. It says that he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short. Anybody else have that problem? Okay. Thank you, Jesus. So we're, Jesus acknowledges us. He, acknowledge, he doesn't say anything about tall people. The one time he references tall people, it was Goliath, and you saw what happened to that. So do not team up on short people. It says, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. I don't know how he knew Jesus was coming. But he knew it. And right before this passage, we see Jesus heals a blind man. So maybe he was intrigued. Maybe he wanted to know. Maybe he was trying to get in that tree to see Jesus and to kind of monitor. Oh, that guy didn't pay his tax. There he goes. We, we've been on the run for a while. Now we got him. But somehow Zacchaeus hears. He wanted to position himself to see Jesus. And being short, and for others who are vertically challenged, we never get to be on the back row for photos. It's always, no, 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 to, to the front. you got to get in the front. You want me to take a knee? No, we can see over you. We're fine. Any, anybody have that problem too on family photos every time? So when you're at a concert or you go to Disney or wherever you may go, go to the parade on Main Street. I love standing with the kids because I get to stand on the back row. But when the kids aren't around, the adults on, at the parades, I have to stand on the front row. And think about it. You don't ever have a problem with somebody that you're taller than getting in front of you because you can still see over it doesn't it doesn't mess your view up and now these people it says that Zacchaeus couldn't get to the front so he ends up in a tree well he's short it wouldn't have been an issue with his height that people would have been like it doesn't matter you're short you're fine 
So people wouldn't have mind if he was in front of them. And these people, too, were there to what? See Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. They were following to see who this man was. But they weren't going to let short Zacchaeus get in front of them, even though it would not obstruct their view. They were being hypocrites. We want to see him, but no, no, no. You're a tax collector. You're an animal. Get out of here. We're not letting you in front of us. I could just imagine them just holding their arms out and doing everything they could to push him back. So the only thing Zacchaeus could do was get in the tree. And I read that this week. I, I, had, a, I had this thought is that it's sometimes the church can be the very thing that keep people from showing up. The followers of Jesus, those who proclaim to be Christ, they live in hypocrisy. That sometimes people have to go above the church to be able to see Jesus because the church is being a barrier for people not to see Jesus because of their hypocrisy. They, they didn't like him, so Zacchaeus climbs up in the tree. They were keeping the sinner from seeing Jesus. Didn't care about their pursuit with him, but they didn't want Zacchaeus to interfere because of who he was. He's a traitor. He stole from us. He's robbed from us. We don't even care about him. So he climbs a tree to get above these Jesus followers. In verse 5, it says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. And he called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. You know, some people say, the reason that sycamore trees have bark that's already loose is because Zacchaeus probably came down that tree so fast because he couldn't believe that this guy who just healed blind people, he's heard stories, has called him. And did you notice Jesus invited himself over to his house? He didn't ask, hey, do you mind if I come over? He said, no, I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming. Jericho being one of the most powerful cities in Israel at this time, and here comes the most well-known person of all of Israel is Jesus. And Jesus does not ask to meet with the ruler of Jericho. He's not asking to meet with the religious leaders of Jericho. He has invited himself to one of the worst people in all of Jericho, and that was Zacchaeus. He didn't choose to go to anywhere else. It would have been simple to go to the temple there, the synagogue. It would have been easy to hang out with the religious leaders and argue some doctrinal, doctrinal and theological concepts. But he doesn't do that he acknowledges the person that was away from the group and he pulls him in and says, I'm coming to your house today. And in this culture, to go to someone's house, to share a meal with someone, it would have been a sign of an intimate fellowship. It meant that you were accepting that person, that you were committing yourself to this loving relationship. Look at verse 6. It says that Zacchaeus quickly climbed down he took Jesus to his house in great excitement. Listen, Zacchaeus wasn't even prepared. He didn't know that he was having a guest come over. You know how you are when you find out somebody's coming over to your house. You clean, you do whatever. You, like the whole house has to be spotless. Like your bed in your master bedroom has to be made. Because you're worried. I, don't, I never understood why my bed in my master bedroom needs to be made. Because I don't ever take guests in. Oh, this is our bedroom, by the way. I don't know if you've ever seen our bedroom. And so, anyway. Maybe you're not like me. You have to have that bed made. But he quickly, with excitement and joy, of course he's excited. Of course he has joy. This most well-known person of all of Israel has invited themselves. This potential Messiah has invited himself to come to our home. And so here he goes, and what Jesus is saying is that the people were displeased with Jesus because he was hanging out with the wrong people. 
And it says he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, and they begin to grumble and complain. They didn't like it because, again, in this culture, sitting and having a meal was an intimate thing with someone of showing that you accepted them as who they were. And Jesus extends this invitation to Zacchaeus before he cleans up his life. He didn't do anything yet. And Jesus gives him this invitation. And the Pharisees became furious. And they were saying, he's eating with this notorious sinner? Here's what they didn't realize. This is the most important thing for us to understand. Jesus is a friend to sinners. That is a good, good news for us today. That Jesus is a friend to sinners. He doesn't cast us away. He doesn't push us away. He loves us. The Pharisees didn't understand that. The Pharisees here are upset because Jesus is breaking all of the religious rules by having this guy in his home. And they didn't understand. You got to know that they, the Pharisees make up rules because rules are easier to deal with than grace is. Rules are easier than grace. Rules only prove our propensity to want to sin and do wrong things. But here we are. Grace has entered the conversation, and grace has made himself comfortable in the home of this sinner. See, Pharisees now realize that grace now has a face, and the face of grace is Jesus. They're seeing that. And so, this grace is here. Because our greatest efforts and our best laid plans will not accomplish in a lifetime what God's grace can do for us in one moment. In one moment. I mean, grace is the reason that we're even here, gathered together, and even saying the name of God is grace. Grace is why we care about people who don't know Jesus. It's why we care about people who do know Jesus. It's why we minister to people, even the mean people. It's why we minister to them. It's grace that draws in hurting people who need to belong, and before they can behave, they've got to learn to believe. And we get that backwards. When you behave the certain way, then you can believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And we have that so backwards. Jesus was not asking for a lifestyle change in Zacchaeus in the moment. He was trying to develop a relationship. He was developing a relationship. I love what Pastor Judah Smith said on this subject. He says, Jesus was different. He didn't wink at sin, but he didn't write sinners off either. He offered faith hope, and love. And that's why time after time in the Bible, we find hardcore sinners seated around the table with Jesus just chilling. He's a millennial pastor, in case you guys are wondering. They would spend hours listening, asking questions, laughing, and crying. They, would, they were captivated by his compassion and riveted by his practical explanations of how to do life. And Jesus let them belong long before they believed or behaved. Jesus is teaching Zacchaeus something here in this moment. Every other religion in the world says, change, clean up, God will accept you. But the gospel reverses that. And the gospel says, God has offered acceptance to you. And in light of that invitation, change. Change. God's acceptance is not the reward for having cleaned up your life. It's actually the power to actually clean up your life. And we get it reversed so many times. 
Look in verse 8. It says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And Lord, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Do you hear what Zacchaeus is saying? We know that he's taking a lot of money and he's saying, I'm going to give back. If, I, if I've done anything wrong, I'm giving it back. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. If you were an Israelite, that, those words right there, to be associated with Father Abraham, who had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. If you had that, if you were put in that same category, you kind of just lifted your chest and your head high because you were associated with the patriarch of what we were doing. And he says that you are a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus has given us his declaration of why he's here. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. Religion points outward to say, Zacchaeus, go do that and you'll obtain salvation if you do these things, if you'll do these works. But Jesus' gospel is Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house. It just walked in freely as a gift and made a seat at your table. That's who Jesus is. And in response to that gift, Zacchaeus immediately has a life change. Immediately. Because he recognizes the grace that is sitting in front of him. And he experiences just, I would imagine, the conversations that were happening around that table. I imagine Zacchaeus is just asking question after question after question and learning. And Jesus is being so gentle. And I'm, and I'm sure that there was a piece of him just waiting for Jesus to blast him for everything that he had done. But it never came. Because he just used grace and his love and his compassion. And sure, Jesus was angry about it. But the way that he communicated to Zacchaeus. And verse 8 says that change came. It tells us that Zacchaeus gave half his wealth to the poor and that he was going to pay back four times to all of the people that he felt like he had cheated on their taxes. He'd been doing this for years. The Levitical law said that if you stole from someone and got caught, you were supposed to repay them and add 20% to what they did. And there was only one situation which you would repay back four times. So remember Zacchaeus said, I'm going to pay back four times. The only time that you would pay back four times is if you stole someone's cow. Y'all know why? Because if you stole someone's cow, you could put someone in utter financial ruin. There's your dad joke for today. But Zacchaeus is not giving this money back because he has to. I want you to understand that. He's giving it back because he wants to. He realizes there's a change that has happened. He has had, he's experienced grace. There's nothing in the Bible about giving away 50% of what you have. That's his choice. We serve not because we have to, because we realize we get to do this because we've experienced grace. Because have to do something is a burden mindset. I have to cut my grass. I have to wash these clothes. I have to go to work. I, ha I can be a burden mindset, but I get to as a blessing mindset of understanding what you have and what God has done in your life. And you appreciate it a lot more. So Zacchaeus does this freely because he's experienced grace. He got a taste of it. And when he got a taste of it, money lost its hold on Zacchaeus. It wasn't an important thing for him anymore. 
the lavish lifestyle that he had wasn't an important thing. He realized the most important thing that he had in his life in that moment was that relationship with the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. And so our affections and awe of Jesus become so large that all the lesser attractions will begin to be brought into order when we recognize who he is. Our, our capacity to Jesus is so strong that all the other captivities that we have have been broken because of our relationship with Jesus. And I'll, I'll tell you that we have, to, we have to grasp this truth about Jesus. We have to grasp this truth that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn it. He didn't come to condemn the world. He already knew the world was bad. He came to save it. He came to save it. You go to the doctor and your temperature's up and your nose is running and you're sneezing constantly. You don't need that doctor to walk in the room and go, all right, I have concluded that you are sick. Okay. Well, I knew that before I walked in the room. What you need the doctor to say is, okay, this is what we're going to do to get this fixed. You're going to do this and this, and you're going to have these five-step programs. You're going to do this. When we walk into the room with Jesus, he didn't come to tell us that we were sick. We knew that we were sick. Jesus walked in and said, this is how we're going to fix this. And we're going to fix it with the blood. Because you need a blood transfusion. You need my blood to replace your sin-infected blood. And I'm going to give it to you on a cross. Because when Jesus came here, he knew that he came to save the world. He didn't come out to highlight his holiness and how good he was. And to shame people who didn't measure up. That's not what he did. He came to find sinners and offer these sinners a way out. He came to give hope to desperate, lonely, hurting people. He came to replace our quiet desperation with righteousness and peace and joy. That's what he has come to give us. And what we see here with Zacchaeus is that Jesus didn't care about the scandal. He cared about the scandalous. He cared about the scandalous. He didn't ask Zacchaeus to give me the backstory of your whole life and let's see, what, let's see where it went wrong. What he did with Zacchaeus is said, I care about you. How are you doing? How's your life? And there was never judgment cast on to him. And sometimes I think you and I have a hard time believing that, that we'll look at ourselves through the filter of our failures and losses in life. And we begin to view ourselves outside of the way that the Bible would view us or outside of the way the Father and Jesus would view us. And we begin asking, like, how can God even love me? How could I ever be successful in life? How could we ever help other people when I feel like my life is a wreck. But Jesus looks past our sin and loves us for who we are. And when he called you, he knew what he was getting. If we truly believe that God is all-knowing, he knew what he was getting when he, when he pulled me on his team, when he adopted us. He knew what he was getting with you. That's scary in some aspect. But also it's very hopeful because sometimes you need somebody else to see something in you that you never see. And God does. So Jesus looks past that. He, you know, a way has been made for our relationship with him to be restored so that we could have a relationship with God. But I think what happens is we get in a hurry to perfect ourselves. We've got to do these things because we think that when we do these things, God's going to love us more that I need to serve on these 10 teams, I need to be in at least 15 different small groups, 
and I need to at least drive by the church seven times. And that will, make, that will bring me so close to God. And you know what? I think God smiles more when you just wake up in the morning and just acknowledge that He's there. Because there's nothing that you and I will ever do that will make God love us any less or love us any more. He has lavished His love on us is what Paul says. And this is what Zacchaeus experiences. He knows that God has accepted him. He's not in a hurry to seek perfection. Zacchaeus has got a long broken road that's got to be repaired. He's got some things he's going to have to work through. God is not in a hurry to fix us. Our behavior, listen to this, our behavior is not his first priority. Our relationship is his first priority. Our relationship with him. Because if you get the relationship right, all these other things work out. I used to tell parents when I was doing student ministry in a different lifetime, it feels like, and they say, why aren't we talking about this and talking about alcohol and smoking about drugs and talking about premarital sex? Why aren't we talking about those things? I said, because we're talking about Jesus. Because if I can get them to get the relationship right, you won't ever have an issue with those things. You won't ever have an issue with those things. Because Jesus is concerned with the relationship as the number one priority before he is a behavior. Jesus is obsessed with loving us and spending time with us. He sees us as we are. He loves us as we are. Listen, that doesn't mean that we have this grace to do whatever we want. Because when that relationship is established, we don't want to do those things. Think about your spouse. You don't want to cheat on your spouse. Because you love your spouse. You would never do anything to jeopardize that relationship. So you do things that are outside of your norm. You sit down and watch a romantic movie that maybe you have no care for, and then you find out that you're crying watching The Notebook because you love your spouse. The behavior will come when grace is experienced. We don't lead people at Together Church. We don't introduce them to behavior modification. We introduce them to Jesus. And we let Jesus do the rest. Because we know that no sin is so great that the blood of Jesus cannot cover it. It covers a multitude of sins. His love is so deep and wide that he can, in one moment of faith, forgive our past, our present, and our future. Sin is simply not a problem for God. It's not a problem. And the depth of God's love is unmistakable. Many people will wander through their life wondering if God loves them or not. Or even worse, if they are lovable at all. And if they have all the signs of having great life, their choices may have left them feeling empty and outside the flow of society. But let me tell you this. Jesus only needs a moment to open the eyes of the soul for them to see and experience grace. To experience the infinite love of God, I will tell you the most important thing you can walk out of here today is this point. A moment with Jesus changes everything. A moment with Jesus changes everything. We get so caught up in how long we need to have a quiet time. Is it 30 minutes? Is it 10 minutes? Is it four hours? Whatever it is between you and God, just have it. Don't put time restraints on the time that you spend with Jesus. Go into it knowing 
that if I read the entire Bible, but God has one word that stands out for me, that one word, that one moment with Him changes everything. That one prayer changes everything. That one encouragement changes everything. I think we get so caught up in having to do the big things that we miss the small things that God's trying to do. Because He works through the small things. He worked through Zacchaeus. I'm sure the days after that were hard because he cheated some people. And I'm sure there were some people skeptical when he started giving things back. And by the way, I'm sure, we don't read it, but I'm sure at some point he had to go back to the Romans and say, hey guys, this is not working for me. I can't do it this way anymore. And it probably cost him. We don't, we don't know what happened. But what we do know is that one moment, that one moment, changed everything for Zacchaeus it was one moment he had to get above the hypocrisy of people who claimed to love God and, and, and be zealous towards the love of God he had to get above them to be able to see Jesus and he was hiding in the tree but Jesus sees him and calls him get this calls him by name calls him by name and it was in that invitation that he would forever be changed. Forever be changed. Because Zacchaeus moves from making, because he's, he's Jewish, he follows the religious codes. He did all the things right, but what he realized was all the works that he had done and being a hypocrite on the side was keeping him from actually being with God. And it was with that proximity with Jesus that changed and he realized that what I'm doing is wrong. He had a moment of repentance. He had a moment of change. And he began to strip everything that he had away to get back to what the most important thing was, and that was following Jesus. And what I would say to us this morning, and that my conviction has been through this passage, is what have I allowed to come into my life, to come into the church? What have you allowed to come into your life and coming into the church that has complicated things that rather than pointing towards Jesus we're pointing towards other things that aren't important and aren't going to make it where have we not been graceful with people through conversations through things that we would post on social media where have we not been graceful and what does it look like for us to have a Zacchaeus moment of recognizing Because listen before you can preach grace you've got to experience grace have you had a tree being in a tree moment? And if you have, how are you giving that moment of grace to other people? We're going to sing as we get ready to close. And what I want you to do, I want you to sing this or just listen to the words. Just make it your prayer this morning. That the most important thing, we strip everything else away. That nothing else matters but Jesus. Let this one moment that we have together this morning and if you're online watching the same thing, be your prayer that everything is stripped away so that Jesus can shine and begin to do the work in your life so the relationship can be established and everything else will begin to follow. Father, we thank you today for being a God who is so graceful, so loving, so forgiving. And God, I just pray that as we've, in our, in our feeble attempts to try to accomplish work so that you would love us more. I just pray we'd strip those things away because God, you're not impressed. 
It's funny that we try to impress you. You're the same God that spoke and things like the Grand Canyon were made. I mean, the Grand Canyon was once just just a wave in your vocal cords and I'm trying to impress you with my life and the things that I do. And God, you already love me and you're already proud of me. I don't need to do anything to make you love me more. God, I just, you just are asking that I be obedient to what you've called me to do and what you've called us to do. And so as we sing this morning, our prayer is that you would bear focus and we would see you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.